Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Christmas. How many are all ready for Christmas? Okay, a few of us are. Uh, uh, it's amazing how quickly the turnaround happens from eating turkey to immediately buying gifts. You know, it's just all of a sudden it seems to happen very quickly. But I have good news for you really good news for you, that there are still 25 shopping days until Christmas Day, so there's still hope and time for you to get out there and to get what you must get in order to not disappoint those loved ones around you. It is the Christmas season, and we have a very simple mission or task during this Christmas season as a church here at Grace, and it is simply this, it is to give this Christ away. That's our goal, uh, very simply. It is to give away the person of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible teaches us that God the Father went to a great deal of personal expense in order to provide for all of us here and the people that we know and care about some very personal and some very precious gifts. And these gifts are designed to, to bless our lives. God wants to give us the gift of hope. He wants to provide for us the gift of peace, peace with God and the peace of God in our lives. God wants us to be joyful. How many would like to be happy people? Joyful people, yes. God wants us to have that. We're going to talk more about that when we get there in a couple of weeks. And ultimately, God wants us to enjoy his love and acceptance all of these are found in a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. I love the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says this, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, and that is the gift of his Son, which he extends to us all. So through this Christmas season, we're going to be unwrapping these remarkable gifts and finding that the source of all of them are actually the person of Jesus Christ. So as we unwrap these gifts, would you do me a favor? Embrace this gift for yourself, but also think of other people in your family, in the sphere of your friends, maybe people you work with or people who live nearby you who need these gifts too who need these wonderful relationships that can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, next week, invite somebody to join you here. How many people do you know need peace? Oh my gosh, we live in a world of war, whether it's overseas or in our homes. There's a lot of chaos and conflict. We're going to talk about how to experience the peace of God. How many, again, want joy? Oh my goodness, we're actually going to look at happiness and to realize that happiness is actually something God wants us to have. It's a bigger word than the word joy. It encompasses joy, but God wants us to be hilariously happy people. We're going to talk about that and ultimately love. What I'm saying is this. Think of the people in your world. Think of the people in your life and bring them. Allow them to be touched by the truth of God's word, and maybe their lives will be changed forever. Wouldn't you like the privilege of introducing them to Jesus Christ? I hope so. Maybe you're here today as an invitation, by invitation from somebody else. Maybe today's the day that you see who Jesus Christ really is for the first time. I hope so. I hope so for your sake. Um, so today, we are actually going to kind of drill down into this concept called hope. Hope. 
So we're going to unwrap the gift of hope today. And I love the way that the Word of God describes hope. Now notice with me how the hope uh, is described in the Word of God. First of all, it is often referred to as something that is alive. The hope that we have in the Word of God is something that is dynamic. It is living. It is breathing. And it is there every time we need it. It is dynamic. So not only is it dynamic, but this wonderful hope is something that we can have great confidence in. It is also something that is firm and secure. It is literally an anchor for our souls. That's the kind of hope that the Bible holds out for each of us. In fact, it is so remarkable that this hope is also set before us, and it is something that we can actually articulate that it is so real and so genuine. In fact, if somebody were to ask you about this Christian hope that you have, you will be able to explain it. That's the kind of hope we're talking about. It's not good wishes or a pie in the sky. It is something so genuine and real that you can literally share it with someone else. And not only that, but it actually goes on to transform our lives. The Bible says everyone who has this kind of hope in them actually lives a different life. In fact, it's a life that actually goes on to be persevering through many of the difficulties of life. This is why we work so hard, Paul told Timothy, and we continue to struggle. It is because of our hope. It is, it is, is ultimately dynamic. It is ultimately enduring. It is because this a hope that we can have through the Word of God and the hope that the Bible talks about is a very durable hope. In fact, there are only three things that will last forever. Faith, 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 and love. Yes, this is what will endure forever. So this is the Bible's definition of hope. It is a dynamic hope. It is a durable hope. No matter where you enter into the Word of God, you are going to see that it offers you promises, that it gives you assurances, that it gives you great convictions. It is filled with optimism. It is filled with hopefulness. This is the kind of hope that the Bible holds out to us, that God extends to all of us. And of course, this gift is found in none other than the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, as Paul told Timothy, the Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. Do you see why it's dynamic? Because Jesus is dynamic. Do you see why it's durable? Because Jesus is enduring. This is the beauty of the hope that God extends to us. I like the way one person put it. Notice, uh, one person put this kind of uh, relationship uh, that we can have with Christ this way. And it says this, uh, our calling... Our calling is to a relationship with the eternal God. This is by faith alone in Christ alone. That ultimately brings an end to pessimism, negativity, and despair. And is the beginning of a confident, bright, and optimistic life filled with endless possibilities because this unique hope is based upon God's promises, giving us a positive expectancy to life here and now and beyond the grave as well. How many want that kind of a hope? This is exactly what the Word of God holds out to us. It gives us this opportunity to experience a hope that is both dynamic and durable no matter what you may be going through. This is offered to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Hope, hope, 
Hope is how we cope with this life. Hope is how we cope with this life. Somebody has said, and I don't remember who it is right now, but they had put it this way. You can live weeks without food. You can live days without water. You can live minutes without oxygen. But without hope, that's it. If there is no hope, then there is no reason to live. And so hope is, is, is as essential in our lives as food and water and oxygen. It is ultimately necessary. And the hope that we have is based upon the great and precious promises that God gives to us in the Word of God, which all point to Jesus Christ, the living Word himself. I'd like to kind of give you an illustration to help you kind of think through this morning as we talk about hope. And what I'd like to say is this. Hope is how we cope with life, but I want you to think of hope like this. Hope is, in a very real way, it is holding onto promises expectantly. This is what hope, biblical hope, really is. It is holding onto promises expectantly, knowing that God will do what he has said he will do. And that will empower you and enable you to overcome every obstacle you will face in this life. And many are the obstacles, many are the challenges, many are the hardships of this life. Maybe you've heard this old saying. Uh, it actually is given by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He says, when you come to the end of your rope, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Isn't that like a great idea? When you come to the end of your rope, when you don't know what else to do, what should you do? Tie a knot in the end and hang on. Have you ever thought about that statement? Think about that. You're hanging on the end of a rope, and you're supposed to tie a knot in it. How do you tie a knot in the end of the rope without taking your hands off it? The results are not usually very good. And so while it was well-meaning, it really doesn't help very much. It's a clever statement, it's a beautiful thought, but it really is not very encouraging. Now, when FDR made this statement, he was actually seeking to encourage people during something called the Great Depression. What an apropos word, don't you think? Depression? Because it is when you are deeply depressed, when you are deeply discouraged, when you're very despondent. It's when you feel hopeless and you think about doing the unthinkable in your life. That's when you really need a hope that is enduring and not just some clever statement or fun idea that some president thinks is going to encourage you to really endure. You know, it's a difficult place to come and many come there, a difficult place to find yourself. Uh, let me introduce to you to my good friend. Uh, his name is George Bailey. I don't know how many of you know George. Uh, he's in some movie called It's a Wonderful Life. But dear George found himself in a pretty hopeless situation. And I, I think Gabriel and Clarence said it best. <laughs> 
You sent for me, sir? Yes, Clarence. A man down on Earth needs our help. Splendid. Is he sick? No, worse. He's discouraged. At exactly 10.45 p.m. Earth time, that man will be thinking seriously of throwing away God's greatest gift. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Then I've only an hour to dress. Is he sick? No. Much worse. He's discouraged. And you know, if you get to this point in your life where you are at the end of your rope, if you will, the Bible is so clear, when hope is crushed, the heart is crushed, when you get to this place in your life where you feel hopeless, when a loved one gets here, when a friend gets here, please get help. Please get help. Let me give you a few things you can do to either encourage yourself, help yourself, or to help someone near you that you care about who is finding themselves in a hopeless situation. First of all, go see a medical doctor. Please, please go see your doctor and explain to him or her exactly what is going on in your mind and what you're thinking because often what happens in our lives is we wind up with chemical imbalances and they can offer medication that can help alleviate a lot of the things that would drive us to do things that we should, simply shouldn't do. So please, number one, make an appointment with a medical doctor. Number two, if that doesn't alleviate the symptoms or deal with the problem, number two is find a good Christian counselor. And I would be more than happy to make recommendations to you of somebody who can sit down and help you think through what is going on in your heart and going on in your mind. Because maybe there is some trauma or some difficulty from the past that either uh, shame or guilt is overwhelming and you just haven't properly dealt with it or grief. Sit down and talk with somebody about this. And I'm belaboring this, dear ones, because we all have people in our personal lives that we know who have committed suicide. And there are people in our community who are contemplating this actively. Maybe someone here today is. You say something like that could never happen in the church. It's happened twice in the last two years in this congregation alone. This is serious stuff we're talking about. When people lose hope, when the heart is crushed, hope is crushed, and people don't know what to do, they despair of life. Go see a medical doctor, please. Go find a good Christian counselor and let them work through the issues that you're wrestling with in your heart and mind. But let me give you one more resource, a great resource that is often overlooked and that is the spiritual resource that God provides through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we are body, soul, and spirit. So you have a body. Go talk to the medical doctor. Doc, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. He can help you deal with the physical issues that you may be going through. You are a soul. Go talk to somebody who's going to be, analyze what you're thinking. But you're also spirit. You are a spirit being. Too often, I think we think we're material beings who every once in a while have a brief spiritual encounter when we come to church or, or read the Word of God or something. But the truth of the matter is this. We are eternal spiritual beings who are actually having a very brief physical encounter right now. So a large part of who you are is spirit. Spirit. 
And I think we're quick to go to the doctor and do so. We're quick to go to a counselor and do so. But don't ignore one of the largest parts of your being. And that is the part of you that relates to the person of God. And that's where I really want to focus our attention right now. Because this is what God does. God lifts people out of mires. God lifts people out of pits. God is the one who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. This is what God does. So let me show you how this works around the person of Jesus Christ. You see, when hope is crushed, the heart is crushed. But God wants you to know this, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. This is what God does. This is what he wants to do in each of our lives. I love the words of Jesus kicking off his earthly ministry here uh, on earth. He read from the book of Isaiah, and he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Notice, God the Father has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captors can be released. That prison, that prison of despair, that prison of depression is what Christ wants to release us from. This is what he does. This is what he longs to do. So while I think it's important that we get medical assistance when we feel overly depressed and despondent and want to do harm to ourselves, please do. Please seek good Christian counseling. But do not ignore this very large part of your life, which is God in his desire to be in your life and to minister to you and meet your needs. So here we go. We're going to look at the promises that God has given us that are meant to provide a dynamic, durable hope in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to give you some real knots that you can really hold on to with great confidence. Here we go. Knot number one. The promise that Jesus is there. Wherever you find yourself, I want you to know that Jesus is there. Wherever you find yourself, Jesus is. He is. You find yourself in the slough of despond. Jesus is. You find yourself in a pit of, of depression. Jesus is. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and Jesus is. Yes. Jesus wants you to know that wherever you find yourself, he is there with you. You're never alone. You're never alone. Christ himself is there. In fact, let me prove it to you from the Word of God. Some of the wonderful promises that are found in the Scriptures. Here we go. The first one is this promise found in Hebrews 13 and verse 5. He himself, speaking of Jesus, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, now I need your help. We're going to read it backward. So read it backward for me. You... There you go. Forward, backward, no matter how you read it, Jesus Christ is making it very clear. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right there with you no matter what. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You forsake nor you leave, never will I. Let me just show you how close he is. Let me show you how near and dear his presence longs to be in your life and in your experience. Uh, there's all kinds of wonderful uh, truths in the word of God, but let me just throw a few of them out. Here we go. Number one. Underneath us are the everlasting arms. Underneath you are the arms of Jesus Christ. Like a baby that is being carried, he says, I'm there, and I've got you. 
But not only do I have you, the Bible also says this. It says that the angel, come now, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate epiphanies of Christ. And so Jesus Christ says, I'm encamping my, myself around you. I've got you. I'm around you, but I'm not done. It also says this, that the Lord himself will go before you. And if that's not good enough for you, it also says that God will be your rear guard. Let's keep going. The Bible says also this great truth that I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand, says Jesus. And my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Why? Because I and the Father are one. Are you getting what Jesus is saying? I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I am under you. I am around you. Uh, I'm before you. I'm behind you. And I've got my grip of grace around you. This is what the Bible teaches about the presence of God in our lives. And it doesn't just say that. It actually says this in, in 1 John, where it makes this statement. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in who? Paul. In Acts chapter 17 in Athens, standing at the Acropolis, made this statement. He said that we live and we move and we have our being in God. There is no place you can ever be where Jesus is not. No matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what is going on, Jesus is. He is. This is the truth of Scripture. He is there and he wants to show you his goodness in this place in your life. I love this statement. It comes from Philippians chapter uh, 4. Philippians chapter 4. It's a passage of scripture that many people have, have memorized. But I want to show it to you in a way that maybe you hadn't seen it before. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, it says this. It says that the Lord is what? Near. Yeah, we just saw how near he is. He's under us. He goes before us. He's behind us. He encamps around us. He's got us in the grip, the double grip of God's grace, and ultimately he dwells in us. So the Bible says, and the Lord is near. It is a little Greek word, egnus. Egnus, it's an adverb, and it can either mean near in time. We'll talk about that. But it can also refer to near in space. In other words, I'm right here. I am right here with you. So if this is true, if the Lord is near, what does it say? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. That's right. Carry on this ongoing uh, talk with God. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. You see, we need to tap into this nearness of God. We need to experience the nearness of God. And one of the ways we do that is this thing called prayer. Prayer simply acknowledges God's omnipresence. He is everywhere fully present. And prayer simply acknowledges that God is there. And so this tells us, doesn't stop worrying. Don't be frustrated. Don't get upset. Don't be anxious. Why? Because I'm there. And I want to minister to you. I want to care for you. I want to have this relationship with you. Uh, there's a wonderful old saint by the name of Brother Lawrence. Uh, Brother Lawrence had a book written. He didn't write it, 
but it's actually a compilation of letters that he wrote to people that he knew. And so somebody took these letters that Brother Lawrence wrote and they put it in a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. You can actually practice God's presence in your life. And I would highly encourage you to do that. But this is what Brother Lawrence had to say about this practice in his own life. And I thought this was really good. He said this, I make it my business only to persevere in his holy presence, wherein I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God. Now he tries to get more specific or to speak better. What I'm talking about is a habitual, that means ongoing, unending, silent and secret conversation of the soul with God, which often causes in me joys and raptures inwardly and sometimes also outwardly so great that I am forced to use means to moderate them and to prevent their appearance to others. You know what he's talking about? Sometimes I'm just talking to God and I'm doing my duties, I'm just doing whatever, and I just bust out laughing. And people can think, what's wrong with that poor man? And he goes, rather than have them feel sorry for me, I just have to really work hard to keeping it all in. It's that real. It's that genuine. It's that personal. It's that fulfilling. This is what Brother Lawrence is talking about. God is always there. We just need to tap into that presence. He goes on to say this. Uh, he, God, converses and delights himself with me incessantly. And in a thousand and a thousand ways, he treats me in all respects as his favorite. It is thus I consider myself from time to time in his holy presence. Do you ever feel that way about your relationship with God? Do you ever feel like God loves the world, but I'm his favorite? If you were to come over to the offices... And, and, and knock on my office door, you will discover that there is a little sign on my office door that reads this. This is exactly what God wants you to feel like. This is exactly what God wants you to know. You see, as you carry on this daily uh, relationship with the Lord. He is going to say things to you and show you things and speak into your soul, and you're going to be overwhelmed by his grace and his goodness, and you are going to feel very special, so special that you are actually going to believe that God does love the world, but I'm his favorite. I'm sorry, it just is true. Do you have that kind of sense of relationship with God? He wants you to have that. He really, really does. Well, Pastor Bill, how do we have that? Well, here it's about prayer. Indeed, prayer is a very important aspect of nurturing this, this remarkable relationship with God. But also, it happens through his word. All of us have exactly the same opportunity to tap into God's dynamic and durable presence and his promises. We have that opportunity in and through the living and active Word of God. This is the written Word. Jesus is the living Word, and he uses the written Word to speak into our lives. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me. He wants us to have that kind of relationship with him, to tap into the beauty of that presence, and to help you and to encourage you to spend time with God in and through his Word. Again, 
we, uh, at the turn of the new year, are going to be doing this thing called reading the Bible in a year together. And I want to challenge all of us to get serious about Bible reading. If you haven't heard God's word in your life, he wants to speak to you. And so on January 1, 2016, we're going to kick off, and we're going to use the one-year Bible, and that breaks it up into very readable chunks. There is a reading from the Older Testament, from the New Testament, from one proverb or part of a proverb and part of a psalm. And so he's going to, we're going to read through these every single day, and we will walk through the Bible in a year, and we'll find creative ways to tie us together to help us do that. I think sometimes if we all do something together, it actually gives us more traction than if we simply try to do it on our own. So next week, next week, we are going to have for sale for you hard copies of the one-year Bible. There is the ESV version. There will also be the New Living Translation, the New International Version, and the New King James. Whichever one you prefer, we will have one available for you to purchase. $10. $10 for a hard copy of the Bible for you to walk through in a year. And after next week, if they all go, we'll get a bunch more. But the goal would be by the time we hit January 1, bingo, away we go. And may God bless us and speak to us as a people in ways that we never dreamt could happen. And so I want to encourage you to nurture this remarkable presence uh, of Jesus Christ. So we have this wonderful knot to hold on to, this wonderful promise that Jesus is there. Another one of these incredible uh, knots, if you will, things that help to stabilize us, things that we can hold on to when life gets difficult, is also this promise. It is the promise of his, Jesus's, constant, constant care. You see, as we start to read the Word of God, as we start to make our way into the Word, honestly asking God to speak to us, that's not weird, by the way. That's okay. It is the Word of God. It is living and dynamic, and He wants to speak to us. My sheep do hear my voice. As we interact with the Word of God, I want you to notice some of the beautiful things that God is going to be saying to you. Some of the beautiful things that he's going to whisper into your heart and into your mind that will be very personal and profound to you. He's going to whisper to you of God's great love for you. He says this in John chapter 17 and verse 23. The Father has loved them, speaking of us, even as he has loved me, is what Jesus is saying. And so what Jesus is saying is this. We are as loved of God the Father as Jesus Christ, his own son, is. How can that be? I'm not Jesus. I'm in Jesus. And so when the Father sees me, he sees his son, and I am as loved of God as Jesus Christ himself is. He's going to whisper that into your heart. He's going to make that real in your own experience. He wants to do that. He wants you to know that he cares not only that, but he's also going to share with you. He's going to share with you that if you are burdened with guilt, if you're dealing with shame, if you will but confess it to me, he's going to say this, I am faithful and I am just and I will forgive you of your sin. Wow, Jesus, really? Yeah. And he'll make that real to you as you interact and as you read his word, as you believe the promises 
They become light in our souls, and they strengthen us on our inner person. He will whisper God's great love for you. He will share with you that if you will but confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just, and he will forgive those things in your life. Also, all those things that we worry about and get frustrated about, he says, all these things, if you will seek me first, seek the kingdom of God first, then all these things that give you anxiety and heartache and keep you up at night, I'm going to give them to you. Really, Jesus? Yeah, I really will. Wouldn't you like to have Christ himself tell you that? This is what happens when we interact with him through his word. These are some of the promises he makes to us. Also, if you lack purpose or sense of meaning in life, he wants you to know this. I have plans for you to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. And what happens if all things go wrong? In all things, I want you to know that God works for the good of those who love him. And throughout the word of God, we have all of these promises. There's only five there. Maybe your need is not mentioned well, I just want you to know this, that there are still 7,482 more promises that God makes to humanity, and I'm sure your life will be encompassed in one of those promises. And so he makes these things, and he gives them to us. What do you need? You will find it in me, is what God wants you to know. We're talking about finding hope, a dynamic, durable hope in a day and age of despair. Lastly, there is the promise to take us out of where? I am by nature a contemplative. I am by nature uh, an introvert. I am by nature somebody who wrestles with my own thoughts all the time. I am by nature depressive. And God has used these things, these truths in my life in many wonderful ways. The promise that Jesus is there and nurturing that relationship, knowing that he cares, but it's this last promise that I find myself constantly saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm looking forward to the day. Lord, I'm looking forward to the day where I either go into the presence of Jesus Christ or he reaches down and he pulls me out of here. I love what it says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. We look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. And when that day comes, Jesus is going to grab onto the other end of the rope, and as we hold on to these promises expectantly, he is ultimately going to pull us out of this world, and we will never have to deal with the things of life anymore. And all God's people said... You know, I just, I, every day, even so, come, Lord Jesus. If it was good enough to be the last words in our Bible, it's good enough for me to pray. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. He's coming. And he's coming to take those who know him home. Maybe you can relate to this.
going to be a remarkable day. The Bible says it will happen in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when the last trump is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. Even so come, Lord Jesus. These are the promises of God that find their fulfillment in source in the person of Jesus Christ. The promise that Jesus is there, that he does care, and that ultimately he wishes to get us out of here, to spend forever with him. You say, Pastor Bill, does this really make a difference? Does this really make a difference? Well, this is a gift from Jesus with love. And let me explain to you how it has made a difference in my life. You know, I love that statement again by FDR. Hey, when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot in it, if you can, and hold on. But it does take two hands, and before you know it, it's not enough. And if I had the strength, it's been 30 years now. It doesn't seem possible. But 30 years ago, I suffered from agoraphobia. And if I had the strength to actually tie a knot, 
the kind of knot that I would have tied would not have been a knot to hold on to because I had already lost all hope at that point in my life. Five years of isolation, five years of a growing sense of hopelessness, that if I had enough strength to tie a knot, the knot that I would have tied would have looked much more like something like this. If you ever get to this place, and I mean this sincerely, call a medical doctor. Get a checkup. Tell them what's going on in your heart and mind. Let them make a prescription for you. Let them help you. Maybe you need a good Christian counselor. Please take advantage of one. They're there to help. But I want you to know that when I got to this point in my life, I had already gone to the doctor. I had already tried the medicine. I had gone to the counselor. And I was doing all sorts of relaxation techniques trying to deal with the agoraphobia in my life. And I still found myself here. It was when I found myself here that on June the 6th, 1985, a man by the name of Billy Graham introduced a person by the name of Jesus Christ to me. And that night I got down on my knees and I want you to understand something. Before God brings many of us to himself, he will put us in the point of hopelessness. And in my life, that's what it took. That night I got down on my knees and I embraced Jesus Christ with my life. And he did something for me that no medication could do that no counselor could do. But Jesus himself, Jesus Christ himself gave me a life. And not just eternal life, but a life that was worth living. Thirty years now, I have walked with Jesus Christ. And by his grace, I have discovered that he is indeed one who I can put all my hope in. Because I don't just have a hold of him. He has a hold of me. And he keeps me going every single day. Maybe this is where you're at, I don't know. But don't minimize the spiritual part of your being because I'm afraid we do that to our own detriment. Let me pray for us and then the band is going to come up and close our time together. Let's bow our heads in the presence of Jesus Christ and acknowledge that presence and maybe some of us need to cry out to him because we need him so desperately. Jesus, I just want to say thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for meeting me in that small little bedroom in the upstairs farmhouse that I grew up in in South Paris, Maine, 30 years ago. I was hopeless, and I felt like I had no reason to live, and I tried everything everyone told me to do, but I felt no relief. But I thank you for meeting me there. I thank you for revealing yourself to me there. And I thank you for the privilege of putting trust in you. And Jesus, I have discovered that you are a dynamic and durable hope for life. And I pray right now for anyone who's sitting here today, if they're wondering what is life about? What does it matter? What does it mean? What difference do I make? I pray that today you will impress yourself upon somebody's heart, that you're there, that you care and that you ultimately will take them out of here, and they will be yours forever. Dear Jesus, thank you. 
thank you so much. It's in your worthy name that I pray. And the people